there's a study that, that I like to um, refer back to that was done by the U.S. Department of Education. And I like this one because it's the largest one we have on blended learning, and it's called a meta-analysis. So what they did is they took all of the empirical research on virtual complete online learning, face-to-face learning, and blended learning, and they kind of looked at the student outcomes and they had algorithms to kind of make them um, apples to apples, I guess you might say. And the one that came out the strongest was first um, blended learning, then face-to-face learning, and pure online without the human interaction and the live did the worst. And so I think that one of the reasons that it did so well is you're hitting a lot more learning styles this way. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Our weekly podcast gives you the edge to live a more informed life. We discuss more than just St. Louis as we connect the gateway city to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. So to continue our conversation about learning and the delivery of learning, there is a process Uh, called blended learning. You know, we talked last hour about distance learning, online learning, virtual learning, hybrid learning, remote learning. Right. What are Many t- people think they're all the same, but they're not. They each have their own little tweak to them. And we're going to discuss blended learning and how that changes the education game. Tammy Stevens, who is the owner and chief executive officer of E-Class for Learning, is on the line. Welcome, Tammy, to St. Louis in Tune. Thank you for inviting me. We had a conversation in the first hour with uh, an assistant superintendent for learning and discussed virtual instruction, providing better feedback, making connections, talking about systems and engagement, flexibility, uh, food. We talked about what's going to happen as virtual learning continues. We're going to have some of those same conversations, but you bring a different perspective to this. Tell our listeners about your background. So I am the CEO of eClass for Learning. I started my career as a K-12 educator, and during that time, I did a lot of professional development um, in technology to improve student achievement. And then since then, I've had the privilege of working with school districts and charter schools all over the country. Um, In 2012, I received my doctorate in learning technologies from Pepperdine University, And my research interests include a lot of these converging ideas. I'm interested in one-to-one computing. I'm interested in blended learning, personalized learning, competency-based instruction, project-based learning, social constructivism. And one thing that really fascinates me is how these new technologies bring about new communication options for us and how that can impact learning. Now, you have written an article, which is what actually uh, started our conversation uh, that we had the other day about blended learning and how that changes the education game. Talk about blended learning and and what it is so uh, people who are listening understand exactly the framework we're discussing. 
Sure. It's kind of a broad term. It's not hard to understand. It's where you have two types of, of learning. So one is where you're physically together somehow. So that could mean um, that you're in a physical classroom together or you're physically, I guess this would be virtually together, but in real time on a Zoom. And then the other way would be um, that it's blended with is students would work um, online and and that's called asynchronous learning. That means that they can pick the time and space that they want to do um, different things and activities that you've set up for them, and you blend those two things together. So sometimes you're together face-to-face and live real-time, and sometimes you're working on your own time online, and both get blended together. Give us a tentative schedule as to what something might look like in a blended learning environment? Oh, that's a great question. And there's just a ton of experimentation, I think, of teachers as they've been thrown into this of what it can look like. So I don't think there's a standard way or definition. But a typical one that I help teachers maybe think about if if they're going to do this is Maybe think about your week and a weekly um, structure and set up group norms. So maybe we meet face-to-face um, on Monday and Friday, and um, maybe we have small groups or office hours that students can sign up for um, to get assistance or based on who um, needs help with certain skills. And, and there might be like a, a teacher calendar where students can virtually sign up or they're assigned certain times for small groups that happen live or they could volunteer to come face-to-face in an office hour. And then you might have all of your assignments and activities for the week, which could include things like discussion boards, readings, watching videos of certain um, procedural instruction um, happening online. Ideally, when you meet face-to-face, that would be more student-driven or discussion-driven and less lecture-driven. Maybe more of the lectures are online in a video that they watch, and now the time hopefully is maximized to talk about what questions students have or that they present what they've been thinking about, or for clarifying mistakes or things that you're seeing, um, that that would be an ideal situation and what it could look like. So what are some of the upsides of, of that particular kind of environment? Well, I think there are many. There's a study that, that I like to um, refer back to that was done by the U.S. Department of Education. And I like this one because... It's the largest one we have on blended learning, and it's called a meta-analysis. So what they did is they took all of the empirical research on virtual, complete online learning, face-to-face learning, and blended learning, and they kind of looked at the student outcomes, and they had algorithms to kind of make them um, apples to apples, I guess you might say, And the one that came out the strongest was first um, blended learning, then face-to-face learning, and 
pure online without the human interaction and the live did the worst. And so I think that one of the reasons that it did so well is you're hitting a lot more learning styles this way. Um, there are a few groups that do especially well with blended learning. One group is students with disabilities, um, and another is English language learners. And I think that's because there's a lot more of recording of the teacher teaching in blended learning environments. And if you imagine, um, let's say, English isn't your first language, sitting in a classroom, typically that's not repeated. You, you either listen to the teacher and you got it in your notes or you didn't. And here you could rewind it and listen again and again to that lesson. So um, oftentimes student achievement for those groups goes up a lot in blended learning, which is kind of exciting. Another thing the research shows that's sort of interesting is students that might be more introverted are more likely to share and communicate with both teachers and peers in an online environment, and they're more comfortable. That was very interesting to me, too. I think we're moving, especially with COVID. It, it's changed things dramatically. But for a long time in education, we've had this seat time model. Like, you go to... Um, fourth grade, and then you move to fifth grade in a year. But I think this opens things up where people can move more at their own pace and do more competency-based learning pathways, and time and space are no longer limitations, and learning's on demand, and there's multiple ways for you to engage or choose from to learn. Um, so that that's kind of exciting to me. I think another thing in these online environments that I see with especially the maybe, well, all students, but introverted students, um, let's say we're in a classroom and I pose a question, then typically what happens is the students raise their hand and I choose one, but... In online, I can post a discussion board, and everybody can answer. And, you know, in a classroom, that wouldn't be practical because we have time and space limitations, and we can't listen to everybody. Hmm. So I actually think that there can be more communication, more engagement. Personalized learning has a lot of promise, um, but it's hard to manage. And I think technology can really help that. And as students are working more, we can be looking at performance data and coaching and having small groups and things like that instead of always being in front of the room. Um, I think that we can take some of the lecture-type things or procedural things or going over the rubric-type things and have students watch that in a video or review it before on their own time. And then we can use our face-to-face -face time to be really engaging and, and to have really good interaction. And my final one, I think, is it's essential um, to prepare for the future. Um, COVID-19 has changed things forever in every industry. 
And I, I can't imagine an industry that isn't going to have some kind of virtual communication or online learning going on and training. And we need to prepare our students for this kind of a workforce. You know, those are great points that, that you brought up. And I, I want to kind of flip this question now the other direction. As, as we've talked about upsides, what are some impediments? And these could be whether it's in the student realm, the, the staff teacher realm, or the parent realm, and any of the logistics that go on with those things. From your perspective, what are some of those uh, the downsides? Well, the first one is really obvious and probably everybody's experience, but every student needs a reliable device and reliable, stable Internet access. Yep. And I, what I hear in a lot of households is we weren't expecting this, and we have competing Internet access issues in your own home, especially if you have multiple parents working from home and multiple kids trying to do Zoom sessions and so on. That's a lot of bandwidth, and it's, it's a problem, I would say. Um, I think the next impediment um, is that overnight, and one superintendent I was talking to today called it brutal, um, teachers, students, parents, administrators, have a lot that just got shoved on them. And so for teachers, um, they had to learn a new pedagogy and try different things out to find out what works and doesn't work for themselves with, with no time to get ready for this. They have to up their technology game and skills overnight and had very little time to prepare for this. Um, I also think teachers need a lot more prep time for this model than they needed for face-to-face because I think a lot of teachers are prepping for both an online audience and a face-to-face audience, and that's twice as much work. Hmm. Um, I think that teachers have to shift their role to, to make it in this environment and they probably will need to spend more time looking at performance data and more time prepping for online activities and doing less lecturing. And um, that's very stressful (laughs) to do all of that change right overnight. Um, We've asked a lot of our teachers for students, um, whether they like it or not, whether it's good or not, Um, In order to make it in this COVID-19, they've had to be more responsible for their own learning. It's just a fact. Um, The teacher can't be there physically with them. So students from K-12, they they have to do more for their own learning. And, um, again, not everybody was prepared for that. And then for parents, it's extremely stressful. Um, Now, in order to help their student or child, they probably have to be more involved in monitoring their student learning, which is extremely stressful if you're trying to work at home or outside the home. So that's a big challenge. And then I think administrators overnight, they've needed to step up and become experts in supporting change management and supporting their staff 
in this very different environment. You know, those are some very interesting perspectives on that. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said as it relates to each one of those areas. And it's really causing a morph of how learning is delivered. And many people who, I guess, are not afraid of change are kind of embracing it. And those who, where change is difficult for them, it is is a struggle. And I don't want to say they're going kicking and screaming, but, you know, nobody likes to venture into areas that they're not very comfortable with. It's it's a risk. And this, for a, I'm, I'm sure a lot of parents, students, and staff, is a, is a risky area. You mentioned in your article that I was reading some misconceptions about blended learning. Can you talk about some of those misconceptions or myths, as you call them? I'll go through them. <laughs> Students work in isolation, and um, that's my a myth. belief... That's a myth. Yeah, that's a myth. And my belief about how learning happens is that all learning is social, and there are um, things like Dewey and other researchers that um, have been long in the education um, research framework that um, have a lot of research about that. And so just because you have an online component doesn't mean that the, the student is working all by themselves all the time. I think our very best learning happens socially. And so that's why um, Zoom sessions, breakout sessions, discussion boards, small groups are really important to make this model work. Um, the second one is um, students complete online content by working primarily working asynchronously at school or home. And so um, I don't think that's true at all. I think that you need a lot of live scaffolding and helping and small groups and office hours. It isn't that they're just off on their own um, doing one lesson after the next in, in order and turning it in. Um, uh, it should be much more robust than that. Um, the third myth is blended hybrid and online learning are less work than traditional face-to-face -face instruction. And this one I want to especially, this is a myth, um, put out there for administrators. Um, I'm sure they learned this in COVID-19, but I think initially when um, teachers were trying these models out. Um, administrators thought, well, you know, you can teach your um, six classes and take on three more online classes and do them blended. And it does take a lot of prep time to um, look at the data, to look at what needs students have, to put all these online activities together. Um, and to have the asynchronous and to have students working at different paces, um, that, that is a much bigger workload. So we need to understand that it's just not easier. It is a different kind of work, but it still takes a lot of time. Blended learning is a linear process. I, I think this gets into the personal learning. Um, I don't think that it should be. I think that students should have choices. Um, one of the things I, I put in my notes is to talk about open education resources. And so often in education, we keep reinventing the wheel. Each teacher is making their own um their own resources and so on. But there's a movement 
that in education that we would share resources. And so, and we would put these in repositories and be able to grab them and then students could use these. So, for example, one blended learning class that I worked with in physics, they took a pre-assessment. If they passed it, they got to skip that module and go on to the next one. If they didn't, it brought them to resources like a playlist on the parts that they didn't get, and they could choose. Did I want to watch a video? Did I want to read an article that shows me how to do it? Um, did I want something in Spanish in my native language to help me? And so there would be resources that I could choose for my learning, st- um, my learning style, and then I would have some formative assessments along the way, and when I would, as I worked through the learning path, then I could take a mastery assessment and show that I had mastered that content. So it's, it's very much not linear, in my opinion. And how does the teacher work in that process that you just described with the physics class? Well, in that one, that's a great example where the role changes a lot. So students might be working through this, but you've got to be constantly looking at data. You've got to be looking at who isn't moving through the learning path, who might need um, misconceptions um, that they keep getting wrong on the formative assessments and some live teaching and, and, and correcting those misconceptions, um, who might... You've got to have resources for those that are flying through the curriculum ready to go um, because people are moving at their own pace. So there's a lot more prepping and finding of resources and then monitoring, especially students that you can see are struggling, and that's where the face-to-face interventions need to occur. And everybody's at a different pace, so you're no longer in front of the room lecturing you might record yourself doing some teaching, and those recordings go in the learning pathways at certain parts. Yeah, so it's a very different style of teaching, very different. We're talking about blended learning with Tammy Stevens-Frame. She's the owner and CEO of E-Class for Learning. And, Tammy, let's go to myth number five. Okay, and that one is... um, Online learning is only for gifted students or credit recovery. And um, I think a lot of school districts initially, that's how it was used. But the truth is that all students benefit from blended learning models, and that's been shown in the research. Mm -hmm. And um, this might be a good segue to talk about how um, this blends, this has to do with other industries too. And I think with COVID-19, every single industry was impacted by this. And maybe one example is one of our clients is in the construction industry, and they're doing great things with online learning. Um, One of the challenges of the construction industry is there are not enough trained workers in the fields that they need that they can hire. So they have to train their own workforce, and hopefully it's very competitive, retain them to stay at their company and not go to other construction companies. So they've had to make career pathways. And this particular client, um, what they do is they've issued an iPad 
for every single employee. And when they are out in the field and maybe they're in their truck waiting for a part to arrive or something like that, they can pull it out. They can work on a lot of it is safety training. And then as they get badges, um, they can move up in pay and salary and responsibility and move into other jobs as they move up their career pathway. And um, a statistic I saw yesterday is 80% of company trainings are now online since COVID as opposed to -to face-to-face. And the research um, also shows that most of our students will have to work collaboratively in their job with people they have never met physically um, as they leave K-12. And I also think COVID-19 has really impacted our economy and things will change. I think there's a lot of jobs that are going to go away, Mm -hmm. but there will be new jobs in this new type of economy that will be emerging. And we need to prepare our students to be competitive and so that they will be able to get those jobs. So um, number five was that it's only for gifted students or credit recovery. I think COVID-19 has made it even more important that every student um, develop skills in working online. And we come to a myth number six, that all blended learning classrooms are student-centered. Yeah, that is a myth. Um, I think technology um, always accelerates something. Right, so um, whatever you apply it to, it's going to accelerate something, but it could also accelerate bad teaching practices as well. So if you use, let's say, Google Classroom as a virtual copy machine of worksheets that you can now give faster and students can turn in and are doing low-level thinking work and turning it in and you're just grading it quickly, that um, is not student-centered. And that would not be how um, I envision good teaching in a blended learning environment. That's a great example because I think many times, personal opinion based upon experience, that kids have been worksheeted to death in certain areas. The kickback, though, I know from staff is when am I going to get time to really sit down and personalize this, which leads me to, which is one of the, the problems in the structure of how learning's delivered prior to COVID. And I really see a lot of benefits that COVID has brought to the educational system because we're having to really rethink all these kinds of things and and what would really be beneficial for the students that we're teaching. I would ask this next question that in your blended model, your blended learning, how is that different from some of the things we saw initially coming uh, at the beginning of COVID and where we are now and where you see it going while we're still in COVID? Um. Well, I think that um, there's going to be a lot more choices going forward. I think parents and students are going to demand it from school districts now um, as they've seen that um, things can be delivered differently. 
I also think we're going to see, and, and pre-COVID, we were starting to see this in innovative areas. I think we're going to see big changes in the physical environment of what school looks like. Um, I think that it'll be less classrooms and um, maybe a little bit more of how some of my staff works. I um, happen to hire a lot of people right out of college often, being a smaller company, and some of them don't have a quiet place to work. We're a virtual company. So we often look in cities for, like, these business hubs where you can pay for a membership and you go, and you don't have an office, but there are cubicles, there are conference rooms, there are beanbag chairs, there are cafe tables, often a coffee bar, and you can, um, there's strong internet access, and you bring your device, and you can work in whatever kind of um, situation you need for, for that day. And I think our environments for, for schools might look more like that um, as students maybe have a little more autonomy in um, working online and working face-to-face. So I think that could change. I think um, that there will be new positions in schools. I know I've worked a lot with um, K-12 technology coordinators, and um, even pre-COVID, that position is often changing or disappearing. And part of it is we used to have each district have their own servers, right? And we used to have computer labs. But now more and more is going to the cloud. Students have mobile devices. And I think um, what we might see more are online um, learning coordinators. And I think curriculum directors are going to be looking at more online content and open education resources and um, things like that that can fit into um, blended learning. It's going to be more and more important for schools, or I would say critically important, if they hadn't done this already, to really start thinking about do we have every student have their own device or access to one, and how can we promote provide or ensure that students have the internet access that they need from from home and school. I think that one technology that we might need to think about more, which is usually banned from schools, is smartphones because most students have access to that and how can we deliver things through the phone sometimes. Um, might be something that we need to explore more. I think school districts are going to have to look at security um, in this new learning environment as kind of the problems that happened initially with Zoom. And um, that's something that I think the IT staff will, will have to think about a little bit more. I think this IT staff is going to have to think about provisioning accounts so that the learning platforms that you use can kind of have single sign-on from one to the other, both in school and out. I think a skill set that we really need to teach is social etiquette for online environments in academic and work environments. 
I think most students know how to do Facebook, <laughs> um, but in Pinterest and things like that. But how do you act um, in a work environment or in an academic environment? And and I think that this whole COVID nineteen was extremely disruptive. But often in in our history, um, disruptive events create new opportunities. And I just see a lot of experimentation happening by teachers as they work in this new landscape. And I think that the leadership administrators really need to support communities of practice among the teachers where they can share what's working, what's not. And that takes time and space for the um, innovation and creation for new types of content and new types of pedagogy. And if administrators don't provide that, it can't occur. You know, when you were talking about those things, those are all excellent. I, I agree with you completely. It's it's uh, going to create some new kinds of things I think that will be beneficial in the long run. I always wonder where colleges and universities will go with this. They're, they're involved with this now, too. They're experiencing the same kinds of things but specifically colleges and universities in their schools of education. And as they're putting out new teachers, are they going to be equipped with this kind of openness and flexibility and not necessarily the typical kind of what we've known schooling to be? Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a great question. Well, I do think that a lot of new graduates might be pretty good at this. And I think that for a couple reasons. One, they lived it as a student. I know for myself, uh, my doctorate was 60% online and um, 40% face-to-face, so it was blended. And you see a lot of professors and a lot of ways of delivering it. And you, when you're going in to be an educator, you're always evaluating others, right? And you're thinking, what ways was that class structured that I liked? What worked? What was not so good? And sometimes the not so good helps you to be a, a better teacher, too. I think one thing that was really hard about COVID-19 is so many of our existing teacher workforce had never had an experience with online learning. They maybe never took a class online, and now they're being expected to teach that. But with this new generation, they lived COVID-19. A lot of times they couldn't go to their college, and they've had to see the good, the bad, the ugly, and that will help inform how they teach where our existing ones never had the chance to experience it as a learner. You know, we have um, discussed a little bit that you are the owner and CEO of E-Class for Learning. Describe what your your business venture is, and I know you mentioned you work with charter schools and some other businesses. Give us a little um, information about that. Sure, I'd love to. So E-Class for Learning provides end-to-end online learning solutions for our clients. So it's it's a lot of things. We do infrastructure, um, so housing the courses. We provide software. We do a lot of programming customizations. 
Um, we do professional development and training for the organizations that we work for. For me personally, it's really exciting um, because I have to learn a lot every day. And I have to come up with innovative solutions for our clients. And I like that kind of problem solving. We tend to use a lot of open source software and that allows us to customize and tailor our solutions for each unique client. So if you're not familiar with that term, what that means is it's not proprietary, it's shared. It's sort of like the open education resources. We really believe in the sharing. So we use software that's often free, and then when we add to that software, we contribute it back to the community, which is a very different model than let's build our own and, and make a million dollars off of it. We're much more of a service industry, and we really like to customize it to the needs of each unique client. So we might have one kind of software, but it looks completely different for a different client than another. Um, we're currently in the educational, medical, government, law, nonprofit, manufacturing, and construction industries, and it's it's fascinating. So, if people wanted to get in touch with what you do, what's what's your website? www.eclass4learning and and the four is a number. dot com. Eclass4learning, the number four learning. dot com. And, Tammy, any final words that you would have of encouragement for students, for staff, and for parents out there about continuing to go through this process as it hones itself and develops uh, its own legs? And uh, it's kind of like birthing a whole other animal out there, this um, blended learning, online learning, virtual learning, whatever, you know, people want to call it. I know there are differences there, but what uh, words of encouragement can you give to those three groups? I guess um, the one, I know it can be extremely frustrating, and it, it has been brutal, as that superintendent said, but maybe um, one way to reframe your lens or thinking is that the world will forever be changed by COVID-19. And um, even if you're not, like my husband really doesn't like technology. He was a former diesel mechanic, but he had to do some. And I think just learning that in this new economy, um, learning how to do a Zoom, learning how um, to log into Google Classroom and turn something in, is really important for the um, success of our students and the new economy that's coming very, very quickly. So maybe try to, um, as frustrating as it can be, know that we are educating this next workforce for a very different-looking workforce. We've been talking to Dr. Tammy Stevens-Frame. She's the owner and chief executive officer of E-Class for Learning. That's E-Class, the number four, learning.com. Tammy, thanks very much for taking time out of your schedule to discuss this important topic and giving us uh, confidence as to the importance of why it may remain around for a long, long time to come. Great. Thank you very much. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider letting us know. The best way to do this is by rating us on Apple Podcasts. You could even write a review. 
St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker. 